Welcome to The Rock Church, a vibrant, enthusiastic, edgy church meeting in West Bridgeford, Nottingham. You can find out more about us by visiting the-rock.org.uk. We hope you were blessed by this message. First off, nothing but God. No light, no time, no substance, no matter. Second off, God says the word and stuff everywhere. The cosmos in chaos, no shape, no form, no function, just darkness, total and floating above it all, God's Holy Spirit. Ready to play. Day one. God's voice booms out. Lights! And from nowhere, light floods the skies and night is swept off the scene. God gives it the big thumbs up, calls it day. Day two. God says, I want a dome. Call it sky. Right there between the waters above and below. And it happens. Day three. God says, too much water. We need something to walk on. A huge lump of it. Call it land. And let the sea lick its edges. But it's too plain. It needs color. Vegetation. Loads of it. A billion shades. The earth goes wild with trees, bushes, plants, flowers, fungi. Yes, says God. Day four, we need a schedule. Sun for the day, moon for the night. I want seasons, years, and give us stars, masses of stars. Think of a number, add a trillion, times it by the number of trees. We're talking huge. Day five, okay, animals, a million different types of each. Let's have some fun with the shapes, sizes, colors. Textures. He smiles. Results. Day six. Then God says, let's make people like us, but human, with flesh and blood, skin and bone. Caretakers of the vegetation. Game wardens of all the animals. Their job description? Make babies. Run the planet well. Enjoy. God looks at everything he's made and says, Fantastic. I love it. I love it. Heaven on earth. Home. Day seven. Job done. The cosmos and the earth complete. God takes a bit of well-earned R&R and just enjoys. Let's keep this day of the week special. A battery recharge day. Rest day. Oh, hey.
Once upon a time. <laughs> that sounded like God, didn't it? God took some mud from the ground and molded the essential chemicals into the shape of man. And then he breathed his life into the body and the man started living. And God placed the guy in a special garden he'd planted and called it Eden. And God says, Adam's doing everything solo and it's wrong. He needs a partner. And God parades all the animals in front of Adam to see what names he'll give them. And God doesn't dispute any of the names, no limits on the wacky scale. Whatever he calls it, that will be its name. And Adam gets through the lot, the cattle, the birds, the bees, the beasts, but none of it is anything near partner potential. Good morning, ladies. Please bear with me. We sang in that song, Sickness is not my story, but I'm not on top form this morning. I am losing my voice and I need to sing at a wedding this afternoon. So just bear with me. I will try my best, but welcome. It's so good to have you with us. And thank you for that amazing intro. Claire, you actually were the ones who kept me going. So well done. Picture the scene with me, ladies. Adam is lovingly placed in a garden of exquisite beauty. He's surrounded by animal couples of every form, color, and kind, with plenty of food and drink, and a given creator to enjoy. But following the animal parade, in which Adam has named the creatures, we get the first hint that it's not all as good as it should be, that even God himself isn't satisfied. Although up until this point, God has declared all things good, he now makes a startling statement in Genesis 2.8 and says, it is not good. And that is, it is not good that man should be alone. I'm going to make a helper suitable for him. And so God puts Adam under some kind of divine general anesthetic and carries out a ribectomy and then closes up the gap in his side. He works on the rib until it's sculpted into a woman shape. Woo. And then he presents it to Adam. This is Eve. And Adam's like, woo, yeah, baby. She's like me, only not like me. Same skin, same bones, but different. Same shape, but not. She's um, sexy. <laughs> She's woman. God made us from Adam's rib. We weren't taken from his head so that he could rule over us or from his feet so that we could be trampled underfoot. We were taken from his side that we might be his equal, from under his arm so that we could be protected, near his heart so that we could be loved and cherished. And because God took woman from the side of Adam, he suffered and experienced loss there was a healthy part of him that was removed. He was no longer as he was, something was missing. And he wasn't complete. And he didn't hold the unique, unchallenged crown of creation. Somebody else was also bearing the image of God. And Adam could never be holy man until he was joined again to the part that had been taken from him. So he knew that without a doubt, Eve had been prepared for him. And she was made after him, and she was made for him, to be his unique helper, male and female, 
were created by God differently, Adam from the dust and Eve from the rib. But we share equally in God's image. Why didn't God make Eve from the dust? Why this kind of miracle was such an elaborate procedure? Well, I think it was so that Adam could never say to Eve, just remember, all that you are, you owe to me. You came about because of my initiative and my plan and my prayers and my skill. No, 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 no. Remember, ladies, Adam was literally knocked out by God. He was comatose, totally unconscious when God was working and accomplishing the creation of woman. We are what we are because of an act of God. Our design, our detail, our gifts, our personality have nothing to do with man and everything to do with God. But we love men, right? And so we were made as equals in God's image and likeness, but the timing and the purpose of our creations indicated we were going to share a difference of function. We were created to help man. Our vocation in life was dependent on that. They need us. More than that, they are actually incomplete without us. We're God's special gift and we complete man's humanity. Eve knew, oh, I was made for man. But Adam knew, actually, I'm only complete in union with woman. So both got to share honor and praise. And at the same time, they both displayed humility because they needed each other. They were dependent on one another. God created us to share equal value with man. And it's got nothing to do with sing, being single, nothing to do with being married, because our completion is not in man, it's in God. Our value and our significance doesn't come from being attached to or being accepted by a man, and our value doesn't decrease if we've been rejected by man. And if we get that, we'll have a far healthier view of men and of marriage and of relationships and what to expect from any potential husband for those of you who are on the lookout. But here's what's important. We are of equal value. We are equal in personhood, equal in responsibility. And before the fall, we were also equal in rulership. But there's more. I got into studying about this role. And God says something so significant about the woman that he'd made. She said, he said, she's to be a suitable helper or helpmate. Now listen. If you said that to most women in the world today, whether they're Christians or not, you'd get some serious backlash. Helpmate, do me a favor. Might as well be a doormat. But doormat is definitely not the meaning of the biblical word for helper, not a bit. The biblical term for helper is the word ezer, E-Z-E-R. Everybody say it with me, ezer, ezer. It's a term used 19 times in the Old Testament. Four times it's used to describe a man helping another man, indicating that a peer was assisting a peer. And 15 other times it actually refers to God helping man. So God's our helper, God's our easer. And yet that's what God says we are to men. So I dove a bit deeper in my studies to see how this easer thing is so different to just being a helper. And this little word expresses something far different than just being an afterthought, that we just have to be people who do stuff for other people. Easer means our nature as women, our disposition and our abilities. Listen, supplies what's lacking in man and vice versa. Men and women had to be different but equal to complete each other. So let's see, 
it's not good for man to be alone, so I'll make him a servant or a slave. That's not what he's saying. It's not good for man to be alone, so I'll create someone who will be a slight help to him in the future. No. It's not good for man to be alone, so I will make an easer suitable for him, an agent of rescue suitable for him. God could have used the Hebrew word meaning female slave, but he didn't. And he might have used any of the Hebrew words for wife, but he didn't. He offered a strong word used repeatedly in the Bible to describe how he comes through for his people in times of desperate need. Ezer is more accurately interpreted as, are you ready for this? I love this. A strong power. That's who we are. And so the full force of the original meaning of Genesis 2.18 ends up something like this. Are you ready to learn about your significance as a woman? This is God speaking to his women this morning. To end the loneliness of the single human Adam, I will make another strong power corresponding to it, facing it, equal to it, and the humans will be male and female. That was a mic drop moment, but I didn't drop the mic just in case. But stick that in your pipe and smoke it. Sorry. Or whack it on your next job description. I am a strong power and I am equal to man. Not only has God identified us as his image bearers, he also chose us back in the Garden of Eden to identify as strong helpers and strong powers. And nowhere in these two primary keys that unlock our identity do we find a, a hint of female inferiority or a whiff of male superiority. We are the strong power created from Adam's side and in the Garden of Eden, it became clear that Eve wasn't just another animal. She was Adam's perfect ally, his companion. Nowhere before the fall does it say that we were just meant to serve men. And God doesn't list what our individual duties or responsibilities are going to be. He leaves it out, probably on purpose, leaving us wide open to a range of possibilities. By referring to us as easers, he didn't limit us in any way, shape or form. He set us free. Now sure, by the next chapter in Genesis, it becomes very clear that we're going to carry and give birth to children, but we're also free to do all that man can do. I mean, think about it. The perfect Garden of Eden. Adam hardly needed someone to put his tea on the table. They had the pick of the plants. And there wouldn't have been much cleaning and dusting to do because they're living in the outdoors. And that's a good thing for me, because my idea of dusting is getting one of my cushions off my sofa and whacking it across a few surfaces. <laughs> we can cook and clean and make clothes, but God's given us the ability to take care of the things he entrusts to us. But he never, ever mandated that we have to do domestic chores because we're female. It may be part of our weekly responsibilities, but it's not our primary key to our identity. And it's the same with marriage and motherhood. Listen, Eve was a strong helper and a strong power before she had sex with Adam. And she would have been a complete easer for at least nine months after she was put on the planet. It takes nine months to have a baby. So here's another amazing truth for those of you who are single or without children. God didn't use a word for wife when he created Eve. He gave us all the word easer. Women are free to be strong powers. We're easers no matter what our social status in life is. 
and we're Jesus from birth to death. There's no age limit on our strong power, no matter what our circumstances. God has a plan and a purpose for each and every one of us, and we are defined by his intentions, not by what we've been through, not by how we've been labeled by the world, or what we might even be going through right now. We are Jesus, here to assist men in reaching complete fulfillment. We are man's peer, his equal. Have I hammered the point home enough yet? Because I'm only just getting started. <laughs> if you've ever read about the Proverbs 31 woman, you can see that she sells good and she sells goods and makes stuff and looks after her family. But women can also design and create and diagnose and construct and write and teach and give lectures. In other words, whatever man can do, so can we. Because we were created equally in God's image, equally blessed, equally ruling, equally reproducing, and equally responsible. And the best bit, the best bit about Proverbs 31, about this woman, there is no mention at all about physical beauty. There's nothing about her appearance. There's nothing about her feminine charm. Why? Because the Bible declares these things as worthless and deceptive. So let's not be dictated to by the world's standards of beauty. Our lives are not about our outward appearance. Uh, that's what man does. Man judges us. God looks at the heart. The virtuous woman described here as a heart that fears God. This is the foundation of her entire life. She works with her hand, stitching clothes, cooking meals, planting trees, and helping the poor. And she uses her tongue at all times with kindness and wisdom. She's God-fearing. She's hardworking. She's kind, even if she's not outwardly beautiful. That's the Old Testament. When we come into the New Testament, we find that Jesus absolutely loved women. He never overlooked us. In fact, he pushed all the social boundaries and involved us in his life and ministry. He not only included us in his audiences, he used illustrations and images that were familiar just to us. He applied his teaching to us. He revealed himself to us as Messiah, to a woman, and discussed things with us like eternal life and the nature of worship. He taught Mary that it was more important to learn spiritual truths than it was to cook and clean. His treatment of women raised our station in life. He showed compassion and respect in a way they'd never experienced before. And all of it was to demonstrate our equality. I'm not a feminist in any way, shape or form, but I do agree with equality. And when I hear things like this from a Greek philosopher, Aristotle, that females are imperfect males, accidentally produced by the father's inadequacy or by the malign influence of a moist south wind, that makes me mad. Ecclesiasticus in the second century said, sin began with a woman and thanks to her, we're all gonna die. And in the same century, Tertullian said this, women are the devil's gateway, the unsealers of that forbidden tree, the first deserter of the divine law. Women have destroyed so easily God's image man. Even worse still, in the 20th century, a woman's place is in the home, preferably at the sink. And quite frankly, 
even worse still, in the 21st century, you're like this, Sarah. What the heck are women doing presenting football on Sky Sports? How are they able to referee a man's football match? You know, when I hear stuff like that, oh, it gets my back up so much. I hear it in my own house, my own son. I shut your mouth. But I'm telling you that we should reject authoritatively, great word, on the basis of God's word, man-made notions about any woman's place. We should never accept ideas about our inferiority, either intellectually, emotionally, morally, or spiritually. Notice I didn't say physically, because there are differences between men and women. Men are generally stronger. It's a generalization, but it is a fact. Men are normally stronger. Now, if you go and work out at the gym seven days a week, you might be stronger than some men, but it's just their physical makeup. But we were created to complete mankind in God's image because our natures supply what is lacking in theirs. And most of all, we were declared by our creator to be very good. He looked at creation and said, it's good. But he looked at a woman and he was like, she is very good. I guess what I'm trying to say is it's high time we started to realize how highly God thinks of us, his daughters, and how invaluable and significant we are to his kingdom. So with that in mind, I'm going to leave the teaching behind and we're going to get to the preaching of the word. I want to read you a children's story today. You might have heard of it. It's by a guy called Max Licado. It's a Christian story. There's actually five in here. It's a wonderful book. It's called The Wonderful World of the Wemmicks. I'm going to read you the first story in the book. It is a very powerful message. The Wemmicks were small wooden people. Each of the wooden people was carved by a woodworker named Eli. His workshop sat on a hill overlooking their village. Every Wemmick was different. Some had big noses, others had large eyes. Some were tall and others were short. Some wore hats, others wore coats. But all were made by the same carver and all lived in the same village. And all day, every day, the Wemmicks did the same thing. They gave each other stickers. Each Wemmicks had a bowl, a box of golden star stickers and a box of grey dot stickers. And up and down the streets all over the city, people could be seen sticking stars or dots on one another. The pretty ones, those with smooth wood and fine paint, they always got the stars. But if the wood was rough or the paint chipped, the Wemmicks got dots. The talented ones got stars too. Some could lift big sticks high above their heads or jump over tall boxes. Still others knew big words or could sing pretty songs and every one of them, they got stars. Some Wemmicks had stars all over them. And every time they got a star, it made them feel so good. And then they did something else good and they got another star. Others though, could do little and they were given dots. Punchinello was one of these. He tried to jump high like the others, but he always fell. And when he fell, the others would gather around and give him dots. Sometimes when he fell, it would scar his wood. And so the people would just give him another dot. He would try to explain why he fell and he would say something silly. And the Wemmicks would just keep giving him dots. And after a while, he had so many dots, he didn't want to go outside. He was afraid he'd do something dumb, like forget his hat or step in the water and then people would give him another dot. 
In fact, he had so many grey dots that some people would come up and give him one without any reason. He deserves a lot of dots, the wooden people. Yeah, I agree. He's not a very good wooden person. And after a while, Punchinello believed them. I'm not a good Wemmick, he would say. And the few times he did go outside, he hung around other Wemmicks who had lots of dots because he felt better with them. One day he met a Wemmick who was unlike any Wemmick he'd ever met in his life. She had no dots and no stars. She was just wooden. Her name was Lucia. It wasn't that people didn't try to give her stickers, it's just that the stickers didn't stick. Some admired Lucia's, Lucia for having no dots, so they would run up and give her a star. But the star would fall off. And some would look down on her for having no stars, so they'd give her a dot. But that wouldn't stay on either. That's the way I want to be, thought Punchinello. I don't want any stars or dots. So he asked the stickerless Wemmick how she did it. Ah, it's easy, she replied. Every day, I go and see Eli. Eli? Yes, Eli, the woodcarver. I sit in the workshop with him. Why? Why don't you find out for yourself? Why don't you go up that hill? He's up there. And with that, the Wemmick, with no marks, turned and skipped away. Well, you won't want to see me, Punchinello cried out. But Lucia didn't hear. So Punchinello went home and he sat near a window and watched the wooden people scurrying around, giving each other stars and dots. It's not right, he thought to himself. And he resolved to go and see Eli. His wooden eyes widened at the size of everything. He got to the top of the hill. There was a big shop. There was a big stool. It was as tall as he was. And he had to stretch on his tiptoes to see the top of the workbench. A hammer was as long as his arm. And Punchinello swallowed hard. I'm not staying in here. And he turned to leave. But then he heard his name. Punchinello. The voice was deep and strong and Punchinello stopped. Punchinello, it's good to see you. Come, come here, let me have a look at you. And Punchinello turned slowly and looked at the large bearded craftsman. You know my name, said the little Wemmick. Of course I do. I made you. Eli stooped down and picked him up and set him on a bench. Hmm. The maker spoke thoughtfully as he inspected the grey circles. It looks like you've been given some bad marks. I didn't mean to, said Eli. I tried really hard. And the carver said, Punchinella, you don't have to defend yourself to me. Child, I don't care what the other Wemmicks think. You don't? No. Neither should you. Who are they to give you stars and dots? They're Wemmicks, just like you. What they think doesn't matter, Punchinello. All that matters is what I think. And I think you're pretty special. Punchinello laughed, me? Special, what? I can't walk fast, I can't jump, my paint's peeling. Why do I matter to you? And then I looked at Punchinello and put his hands on those small wooden shoulders and spoke very slowly and said, because you're mine. That's why you matter to me. And Punchinello had never had anyone look at him 
much less his maker, and he didn't know what to say. Every day, I've been hoping that you'd come, Eli explained. I came because I met someone who had no marks. I know, she told me. Why don't the stickers stay on her? Because, Punchinello, she's decided that what I think is more important than what they think. The stickers only stick if you let them. What? The stickers only stick if they matter to you. And the more you trust my love, the less you'll care about the stickers. I don't think I understand. You will. But it will take time because you've got a lot of marks. For now, just come to see me every day and let me remind you how much I care. Eli lifted Punchinello off the bench and set him on the ground. Remember, Eli said as the women walked out the door. You're special because I made you and I don't make mistakes. Pauline, you are special because God made you and God does not make mistakes. How amazing is Pauline? She is amazing. Julie, you are special because God made you. You know it, girl. God doesn't make mistakes. God never makes mistakes. We all have dots. I was bullied in school, every school I attended. I moved nine times before I was 16 to different areas of the country. I was always a new kid with a different accent. I was picked on, I was beaten up, I was spat on, kicked on. You name it, I had to do it. I had to steal from shops for my bully. I had to steal from my parents. School was hell. I would be told that I was ugly. If I tried to dress trendy, I'll be told that I look ridiculous. And anyone from the growing up in the 80s, do you remember when we used to have long socks and we used to roll them down? Think, think we were really cool. If I rolled my socks down, I would be beaten up. That's, it was just ridiculous. I was the one who got punished all the time. And every day my bully would threaten to kill me if I told anyone. She would put me down in front of the class. Everybody laughed at me. And I just gaining dot on dot on dot. My schoolwork suffered. So my teachers thought I was thick, that I wasn't applying myself. And I was hearing comments like, you really need to do better. Or you're never going to amount to anything. Or you realize you're going to leave school without any qualifications. So many dots. But when I got home, to my lovely Christian family when I got a hug off my mum as I walked through the door. Sometimes it's just a hug, right? Or my dad would say something positive. Or I'd go to my Christian youth group on a Friday night and be around people who knew loved me and accepted me for who I was. And my youth pastors were always telling me I was going to amount to something. When that happened, the dots would fall to the floor. But then you get to school on the Monday and they start coming back on you. And the reality is, we've all got some gray dots. We've all had some negative stuff spoken over us. Or we've been told something that's just 
Cause us maybe to shrink back and become something or someone that we were never designed to be. You might have been told that you were worthless or stupid or dumb or, or thick or fat or good for nothing. Some of us have been singled out and laughed at in front of other people. I was severely overweight as a kid and I was never picked in a team. I was always the last one and nobody wanted me. Anyone else know what that feels like? The problem is that every time we agree with somebody who rejects us or abuses us, we put ourselves in bondage to them. By saying in word or deed, you were right to leave me, you were right to hit me, you were right to hurt me. What we're actually doing is tying ourselves up to their opinion of us. And the only opinion that matters is God's. Going back to the book, Eli in the story is God. He is the maker of the Wemix. God is our creator. He designed every one of us. Ephesians 2.10 tells us that we are God's handiwork, his workmanship, his most prized possession, the object of his affection. And let me tell you, God will never dish you out a dot. Remember, he never makes mistakes. For God to make a mistake would be an absolute impossibility, which means there is no such thing as a pregnancy being an accident. So to that person, maybe sat here today, thinking you were never meant to be created, let me tell you this. God is your creator, and you were in his care even before you were born. Jeremiah 1.5 says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and I approved of you. God doesn't play dice. Your parents may not have planned you, but God did. He thought you up first. It's not fate, chance, luck, fluke of nature, mistake or mishap. If you're breathing and you're here, it is not a coincidence. You are meant to be on the planet. Read Psalm 139 when you get home tonight to work out what he really thinks of you. I'm running out of time. On Thursday night, I didn't fall asleep until six o'clock in the morning, full of a head cold, hot sweats, achy bones. So I watched a series called The Woman in the Wall. Anybody watched it? It's scary, isn't it? I don't really do scary, psychological thrillers. I wouldn't normally watch things like that, but it's based on a true story, on a factual story about a nunnery in Ireland that took young pregnant girls in around the age of 15, 16, who were an embarrassment to their families back in the day. I think it was in the 70s and 80s. And they would give birth in these nunneries, but they weren't allowed to keep their babies. And many of them were told that their babies had died and death certificates were written, but that wasn't the case at all. These babies were actually being trafficked they were being adopted. So the people who were adopting them didn't know they were being trafficked. They thought it was completely legal. Shocking and harrowing, some brilliant acting. But every single one of those babies, no matter how they came into this world, was the first thought up by God. I think it's the last episode tomorrow night. But back to the story, we're being bombarded all the time with dots. We are constantly being told that we're not good enough. TV, magazines, adverts are all telling us 
we need to look a certain way. We're meant to have, we're meant to have big boobs, big lips and big bums, but be a size six. Like, how the hell does that work? I don't get the big bum thing. I like my flat backside. We're told what to wear, what we should drive. That if our kids aren't doing this, that or the other, we've failed as parents. That if we don't use a particular product or something on our hair or our skin, that we're not going to look as good. But the reality is, the only voice that we should be listening to is God's. The only perspective that should matter to us is God's. And when the opinions of others become more important than what God thinks, we're out of whack. And don't be getting your who and your do mixed up. God doesn't always love everything we do. Just as the world doesn't. But he still loves us. I remember when my little Chloe was born, she's 23 now, she had this tiny red scratch on her arm, tiny little thing. And over time, it grew to like half the size of her arm between the ages of like naught and one. It was a strawberry nevus. It was so big and we had some people look at it. But from the minute that she could understand all she ever heard, that is your special mark from Jesus. You are so unique. Don't you let anyone tell you that there's, it's ugly or it shouldn't be there. You were born that way. I love that mark. If they put a million babies in a room, I would spot you a mile off. And so whenever anyone at school said anything about her mark, all she'd ever heard was the good stuff. This is my special mark from Jesus. She would literally parade her arm. Because I didn't want her listening to the wrong voices. You are good enough. You're not a failure. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, you're loved. And no matter what you've done, if you're sorry, you're forgiven. And I say it in that order because that is the way that God operates. He loves us first. That's why he makes a choice to forgive us. We were made by him and for his enjoyment. And when he made every single one of us, each time he took a step back and it was like, look at her. His love for us is unconditional. One of the best films I've ever seen is The Imitation Game. It's about the works of Alan Turing. He built a computer in World War II that broke the German Enigma code. Turing is what I guess you would call a bit of a faulty genius. He had some serious issues being able to relate to people. But boy, oh boy, his mathematician skills were unrivaled. And this is a quote from the film. Sometimes it's the people no one imagines anything of who do the things no one could ever imagine. Don't ever fall for the lie that you're not capable of greatness. And so to the person here today who feels like they're covered in dots, if you'll let him, God can obliterate every single one of them. Your past doesn't have to have a hold on you and it definitely doesn't define your future. So to the one who feels they've picked up a dot because they had an abortion, to the person who committed adultery or thinks they're the worst parent on the planet, or to the thief, the liar, the drunk, the hypocrite, the prostitute, 
to those of you whose minds are filled with thoughts of worthlessness, shame, guilt, embarrassment, and low self-esteem, if you come to Jesus, there is no dot that can stick on you because we don't have to let the dots stick. Remember the words of Eli, the stickers only stick if they matter to you. The more you trust my love, the less you'll care about the stickers. Don't allow someone to tell you what you're worth. That is way, way too much power to give anyone. Because if they can label you, they can limit you. And I don't want anyone going away from this place limited today. God's amazing. He is utterly amazing, but there's actually something that we can do that he can't. Actually, there's two things, but we'll leave the sin in. The thing we can do that God can't is to remember our dots, our faults, and our failures, and our sins. But the word tells us in Jeremiah 31, 34, that God forgets we ever sinned. So we have a choice this morning, ladies, to keep the dots, or to quit accepting them and believe how significantly God sees us, how significant we are as women, that we are strong powers. We are a force to be reckoned with. We are who he says we are. We are significant and valuable because once upon a time we were made by God, for God, born on purpose, for a purpose. And a purpose is important, not because of what it is, but because of the one who assigns it. We might not be famous, powerful or wealthy, or God's gift in looks, but we are rammed full of his DNA, running through our veins of gifting and purpose. We are massively valuable, massively significant. And if you can receive that revelation this morning, choosing to accept the truth of God's word, then I would like to propose that we can all live happily ever after. Amen.